All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Jack Pine. He reached out to me, and we've been in communication about his experiences with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I did an interview with Mike Shemwell, H-S-H-E-M-W-E-L-L, of Shunned Podcast, who's done a lot of research, or was a former Jehovah's Witness, but has put forward a lot of research and many long-form talks and I had uh, an excellent conversation with him. And so tonight we're going to have a number, another uh, person with experiences with Jehovah's Witness who's going to share his story. It might be a little darker than last week's conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about dark subjects like the occult and pedophilia and some uh, other elements that I didn't cover last week. So I just would... Uh, like to proffer a warning to the listener. But, uh, Jack, are you there? Yes, I am, William. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. I know that these subjects can be difficult, so I appreciate you uh, taking the time and the effort to share your story. Usually what the best way to do at the intro of telling these stories is just tell a little bit about your background, talk about uh, how you came into uh, this group, and... Uh, you know, then we can get started from there. All right, sounds good. Um, I was born and raised a witness. Um, my mom, uh, on her side, I'd, I'd be a third generation in. Um, so my entire social structure is in, was entirely Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, there's, there is family that are not. And um, in the religion, um, of course, they don't tell you you, you can't. Uh, hang out with your family, but it's encouraged to minimize the time um, just because uh, everything is supposed to be focused on uh, the preaching work and uh, just around uh, Jehovah's people, so-called. And um, um, so your family was involved. So you basically went to the witness hall you know, every Sunday, and if not for other meetings like uh, Mike Shemwell, you went there on Tuesdays, Thursdays, etc. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So it's uh, it's a pretty heavy schedule. Um, it things have changed in recent years, uh, but it used to be uh, when I was a child, uh, you would meet three times a week, and there were uh, two meetings uh, that were two hours long. And then there was a meeting sometime during the middle of the week they used to call the book study, and that would be an hour long. So you're, you're looking at at least five hours, and it was uh, heavily encouraged that you study for all of them. Uh, so that could, however much amount of time you wanted to, to do, uh, the more time, the better. That was encouraged. So you're really, your uh, schedule was just in <laughs> complete indoctrination. Gotcha. And <clears throat> you pretty much accepted at an early age that this was the, you know, proper religion, the true, true faith, correct? Yeah, yeah. Growing up, um, when I was a kid, I really didn't have any doubts about it. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we were talking and just kind of reminiscing on, on what it was like growing up. And you have this sense of... Uh, I can't think of the right word, but just feeling special because you're in the true religion. You, how fortunate we are 
I can't believe that God would pick me. So you know, like or my special family. elect chosen perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's this, uh, you know, this special feeling and, and you, you know, can, you were exposed to all of these teachings that the end was coming soon, that you had to go out and, uh, what did, pioneer, I think was a term that I, I saw this. So those were important parts of your life is looking at all the Jehovah's Witness literature as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> did you feel like it was like you had that feel of that the world was going to end eminently, that it could be right around the corner? Was that something that was real for you? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in fact, even though I I consciously don't believe in it, um, the indoctrination is so strong that I, I mean, just last week I had <laughs> nightmares about Armageddon wow. coming. So. When those, were those common uh, even from an early age that 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 was a a real thing for you? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that and uh, most I, I would like to say, at least in my experience, for people that I knew, uh, most witnesses, children growing up, uh, something else they're afraid of is uh, demons. Everybody was afraid of demonic activity. So, is the, and do you feel like that was a core component or an important component? of the Jehovah's Witness teachings? Um, it is in the sense that they just wanted you to stay away from anything that, that was like deemed of the occult. Gotcha. So, so there was fear of, of demonic entities as well. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. In fact, growing up, you would hear, you would hear stories from people that say, would say that they had dealt with it maybe when they were studying um, I recall a, a story of a sister. Uh, she had said that her mother had been a witch. And when she had started studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, this supposedly this witch had cursed her. And her and her husband were, were attacked demonically. And it wasn't until uh, she called out on the name Jehovah that it left them alone. And so there's this indoctrination where people feel uh, they would almost use the name Jehovah as a as a good luck charm, although it was told you you're not supposed to use it as a good luck charm. But anytime any kids were afraid or had nightmares, you know they were told you know pray to Jehovah, say his name out loud, and you know the demons will flee. Interesting. So it definitely uh, maybe not specific to other. Christian sex, but that was in your and Jehovah's Witness. That was uh, that was definitely there or an element that you dealt with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gotcha. So, in your experience, as you got older, you um, definitely had an experience where you started asking questions about your faith. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, my, it's funny. My my dad and I we we liked science fiction movies, and that's kind of we kind of bonded over that. And we, I don't know if you remember in the '80s that show Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, shows like that. Like he he was really interested in that as well. And um, so I I remember there was an episode. Uh, I guess you back then they called it the Satanic Panic. 
and um, there is still they still use that term. So it's satanic, oh yeah, <laughs> but it's a loaded term like conspiracy theirs. But sorry. Oh, exactly. And so there were um, that and things like Freemasonry. I, I was always interested in it. Um, obviously, never pursued it because from you know you're told from the platform uh, not to. Um, but those those things always kind of held my interest, and so it wasn't until I got older that I started kind of uh, digging into that somewhat. Um, but at what you were getting at uh, from the email that I had sent you, um, in my teens, uh, there was a young married couple that my friends, uh, my excuse me, my parents had befriended, and uh, after they had gotten married, uh, shortly after, uh, the sister had real had come to the realization that she had been um, part of a satanic ritual as a child and had endured it for quite some time. Um, but it, like I said, it wasn't until later it came out, and it actually came out with her having split personalities. I think now they call it uh, DID, if, if I believe. Dissociative Identity Disorder, right? Right. And right. she was a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses, correct? Yeah, she was. And um, her supposedly her father was an elder. And so that's a position that's held in the congregation. Um, elders are, are not paid clergy like in other churches. It's all completely volunteer. Uh, but in order to become an elder, you have to be looked at in the congregation as considered a spiritual person like somebody who would spend a lot of time in the ministry, um, supposedly somebody that's taking good care of their family, um, uh, providing for them uh, materially and, and spiritually. Um, so that's really where my questioning started coming in uh, when I found out about this. Uh, like I said, I, I wouldn't have believed it, but one day... Uh, the couple had come over, and um, I was at a friend's house. I think I came back, and uh, my parents sat me down. And they were there, and uh, this lady, she she said, uh, she goes, one of my personalities would like to say hi, if that's okay. And I didn't know how to take it as a teenager, but I said, uh, okay, <laughs> go ahead. And so she, you know, she just sat there, and like in a split second, this little girl's voice came out of her and her demeanor, her body language. I mean, even her eye movement, I mean, everything about her changed. And so from at that point, like I knew that that was real. I knew that satanic activity is, is real, a real thing. So then you thought, and so I guess that begged the question for you, if, uh, just confirm that this is correct, that why is this satanic activity taking place in Jehovah's Witnesses? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um, elders supposedly are, are appointed by Holy Spirit. So as a congregation, the elder body who's already there um, will observe a person. And if they feel that they're uh, a good enough witness to be an elder... They make a suggestion um, either to the circuit overseer, and I think uh, this has changed over time, um, but they used to write a letter back to, they called it Bethel, or back at Watchtower headquarters, and uh, supposedly Holy Spirit would kind of guide the brothers telling them yes or no. 
Interesting. As, so where is the headquarters of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Is it Pittsburgh? Um, I, that's, I want to say that's where it started originally. Now it's in Warwick. Warwick. And that's in Pennsylvania? Um, I don't know where Warwick is. I think it's New York. Warwick, Warwick New York. York. Right. And then the people who work there are called Bethelites, right? And that's kind of like a, another higher status position within JW. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I guess you could say that. It depends on how, how you want to look at it. But it, it was always viewed as something for young people to strive to. Gotcha. If you were considered, you know, putting Jehovah first, you, you'd want to serve at Bethel at headquarters. Gotcha. So, um, so you had this experience and that would you say that was the real seed that kind of made you start asking questions? Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely the beginning of it. Um, over the years, there, there's, I mean, there's other things that have come up, just things that don't make sense, and uh, like people would say, you know, cognitive dissonance is <laughs> is there for sure. You just kind of make excuses for for certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't really say what in particular, but I mean, any witness that you talk to or somebody who's an ex-witness mm-hmm. will tell you there's just a number of things that <laughs> that just after a while it doesn't make sense and so like for myself although I don't believe I still believe in God I believe in the Bible um, but at this point I kind of feel like Satan has corrupted all organized religion and I don't know what truth is biblically speaking or if there is a religion that really has it that's true they all claim to have it too that's one of the truths yeah they all they're all different but they all claim to have the truth so that's an interesting analytical truth that's an analytical truth because the catholics are right the mormons are right the jw's are right the seventh day Adventists are right uh the protestants are right the, the whatever the lutherans are right yeah, so, yeah. No, yeah, no matter who you talk to, yeah. they they all claim to have <laughs> to have the true religion. True, true religion, right? So yeah. So um, th- it's funny. There's there's a thing. Um, there's actually a, a gentleman named uh, Lloyd Evans, and I think if you ever have an opportunity to, I think you would find it very interesting. He's probably, um, I would say, he's the the t- <laughs> they would deem him the top apostate. Oh, interesting. Uh, I've never heard that. Uh, he. Uh, Anyway, he has a YouTube channel called the John Cedars channel, uh, but he is very factual. He can show, show, I mean, way back when the organization began and just kind of brings out, you know, uh, filled prophecies that have happened over and over again. Um, like so many religions, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have given dates to supposedly when the end would come. Mm-hmm. And each of them has failed. Um, in the in the past, um, I think they've learned from that. So now they don't give a specific date. They just kind of tell you to um, view the signs of the times. Right. So it's coming short. It's just right around the corner. Yeah. It's, it's always it's always right around the corner. It's and hovering so, over you. Yeah. It's just a matter. Of, it can happen yeah. in an instant. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, do you feel that a lot of your uh, questioning and thing were also 
coming around at the time that a lot of information was available online? Uh, yeah, um, more and more, I guess when it first started, my questioning first started, um, the internet wasn't really up and up and running like it is now. Um, now, I mean, you can find out anything you want now, but back then I, I really had nowhere to turn. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the, the first thing I did, uh, once I was old enough, I was out driving, had my own money. Um, I picked up a book called, uh, ruled by secrecy. Uh, I named Jim Mars wrote it. Yeah. And um, that was kind of one of the things that kind of started waking me up to events that have happened around the world. I mean, you would, I mean, people would just deem him a conspiracy theorist, uh, but there's a lot of questions that, I mean, you can't just, I don't know, you can't just brush it off. But he's <laughs> a very, he's a very robust researcher. His books are very factually dense for me. I mean, to call him, I mean, I think that. You know, I think that he he actually is a legitimate journalist on a lot of different subjects. JFK. Yeah, so. yeah. No, he was. Um, from what I understand, I think he he that was his profession, as he was a journalist yeah. uh, before he started writing books, and uh, I think he just saw how corporate media was ran, mm -hmm. and he didn't like it and decided to go off on his own. I think you're right. Yeah, but. Uh... Yeah, unfortunately, we lost them recently. But uh, so that was it. So you're looking at questions. Do you feel that when you're looking uh, at things that dealt with masonry or the occult, that you were like, "Oh my gosh, there might be something here in Jehovah's Witness"? Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, so you, I'm sure researching it, you've run into the name uh, Charles Taze Russell. Yes, of course. And I, re I researched him when I did my last. Jehovah's Witness interview, and I've heard, I had heard rumors about him even before this subject kind of uh, came to the forefront for me, I heard that, and I've heard that actually in other religions, I've met masonry involved with Joseph Smith as well, you know, uh, so, you know, I was always kind of curious to investigate that further. Yeah, um, so the, at least growing up, one of the first things I, I noticed and was always curious about was um, his, uh, it's not his, his grave, but there is, uh, I guess you could call it a, like a monument that was in his honor and it's of a pyramid. And it's just weird that why would a Christian man have, have this pyramid? <laughs> Pyramidal. And that's actually common for other occultists is to, uh, supplant either a cross or just words uh, like referencing the Bible, but to have a pyramid. So, uh, that's very suspicious, and you can see that online. You can just see this Charles Ray's Taze Russell uh, pyramid. Uh, oh, yeah, granite, absolutely. You know, made out of granite. Yeah, yeah and even um, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have a book called the Proclaimer's Book, and it's kind of, uh, it's their, what the organization has given them for a, their official history, or I, I guess uh, some people would deem it their whitewashed history. Right, uh, but even in that in that book, it shows it shows that, and so it's kind of it's just written off as you know that he was into the pyramid. Um, that's actually where the belief of 1914 came from originally. Was he measured the lengths in the pyramid, and supposedly these pyramid inches added up to brought brought him to a date but those dates changed over the years um i 
I apologize. I can't remember. The first one was like 1873 or some, something like that in the 1870s. And then later on, it turned into 1914 after. Right. So once the time had come and gone, another measurement was taken. And, and supposedly that was a, a brighter light. <laughs> wow. But they did something kind of unique where they said it actually did happen. It just happened in a non-tangible way. It happened in the spirit realm that Christ's return, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, he said that Christ had a had an invisible return in yes. in 1914, and that is still what Jehovah's Witnesses hold hold today. Um, however, the pyramid explanation is is not given. Um, instead, they. Uh, I've, I apologize. It's been a while since I. That's <laughs> since okay. I've, I've studied studied the material, but it was. Uh, that's not the teaching today. Um, they believe, I think, Jerusalem fell at 607 B.C. Or, excuse me, B.C.E. And um, which, which archaeology is completely disproven. So, again, there's really no weight to the dates that they're given. <laughs> right. Did you find that there was this element of Jehovah's Witness truth, like our truth, as opposed to external truth did you did you experience that in the church or in the group uh yeah i think so they i mean you would talk to any witness and they would pride themselves on having the. in fact that's kind of a, a word whisker that they use is is uh they call it the truth gotcha. so you, you know they would say oh you know growing up in the truth it's you know we did this or we did that whatever the case oh interesting so, and you were also, I think it was common within the Jehovah's Witness to get married fairly early. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it was basically, um, it, the experience for myself, um, it, you know, you're a teenager and, and you're horny and you're trying not to get in trouble. Uh, so, yeah, I, my first wife and I got married when we were 18. Wow, gotcha. And uh, so that, uh, there was... Because of your, you kind of were doubting, and she wasn't. That caused a rift. Is that correct? Yeah, she started pursuing things um, in the organization. Um, she would volunteer more time in the ministry, and I, I would do what I could to support it. But it was uh, never enough. And I, I think if you talk to any other witnesses um, who are stepping away from it, that that's. The consensus is everybody feels that no matter what you do, it's never enough. There, there always needs to be more. Did you? Were you a person who was dedicating fifty hours a month to the cause or to uh, pioneering? Um, I auxiliary pioneered for a, a few months over the years. Uh, nothing, uh, not they call it a regular pioneer. Somebody that does it for one year. Um, auxiliary pioneering is you dedicate so many hours per month and the, the times have changed over the years again um, but yes do you find that is it true within the, the jehovah's witness that pioneering is successful and people there are many converts or do you feel like it's finding a needle in a haystack it's still you're right it's still finding a needle in a haystack interesting so you're spending a lot of energy but not necessarily you know finding all multitudes of converts to the jehovah's witness yeah yeah you know they're you know growing up in it um 
you know, I had doors slammed in my face. People yell at you, threaten you. And, you know, whenever anybody would get upset, you know, you just excuse yourself and, and walk away. Uh, but I think back in the day, they used to be really uh, confrontational. They would stick their foot in the door Interesting. and, not, and uh, just, you know, try and they're, they're like, hey, we're trying to give you God's message, you know. Interesting. Um, and so this, le- you know, you essentially became, you just, uh, the, the relationship between you and the Jehovah's Witnesses dissipated, correct? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, my, my first wife and I ended up, uh, getting a divorce. Um, and it was because we had drawn so far apart. And, um, I, I mean, I, I'm big enough to say that it was my fault. Um, instead of getting help for it, I just kind of drifted farther and farther away. And, uh, eventually somebody else started showing me attention and my wife and I split and, um, I ended up with a girlfriend who wasn't a witness. And so because of that, I ended up getting disfellowshipped. Gotcha. And what, did you find that to be a shattering experience? What were your thoughts about it at the time? Oh yeah. That was the hardest experience of my life. Um, just because you, you don't have to be there, uh, but they do announce it to the congregation. And so they suggest that you do be there um, as part of the process of showing repentance. Uh, so if you, if you want to come back, um, they, they do want you to come back, but they say that disfellowshipping um, is to kind of correct, correct yourself and draw, you're supposed to draw close to Jehovah uh, while you're uh, not a part of the congregation. So you're allowed to be there, but you're not allowed to associate or speak to. And it's a really hard experience because people, some people will smile um, and acknowledge you, but won't, you know, they can't say hi. But others, it's an, such an awkward experience, they don't know what to do. So it's like they look right through you. You just don't exist. Wow. So you're kind of like at the, con- at the hall, at the witness hall, but nobody is allowed to talk to you. So it's kind of like... You're ghosted or something. Yeah, exactly. So basically, you you would walk in uh, when the the opening song starts. Um, well, because everybody's supposed to be seated already, and then when the the closing prayer ends, then you walk right out. Wow. Were you at that time? Were you the only one experiencing that, or was there a smaller group within the congregation that were like um, that? Yeah, there there were some other people, although you, you're still told not to associate with other people who are disfellowshipped. Wow, so you're just totally alone, wow. Yeah, yeah, so it's, but like I said, that, um, it, I could say it definitely did a number on me mentally and emotionally, and um, still to this day, I, I've gotten better, but I'm still dealing with that. In fact, my, my wife has just gotten a job um, to where we have benefits, and so now, like, I'm happy because I can I can finally start getting some counseling and hopefully get some closure. Do you feel that that's probably the same experience for people who are disfellowshipped or shunned? Is disfellowshipped is the same as shunning, or are those d- differences? Um, I th- I think in the ex JW uh, community, it's it's viewed as the same thing. Gotcha. Okay. Like the um, the organization would say, no, we don't shun people, but I'm, that's really what it means. 
is once you're disfellowshipped, you're shunned. You're shunned, gotcha. And uh, so what happened next? Uh, because of everything that I, that I was experiencing, um, it was just, I, I started self-medicating. I was drinking too much. Um, I wouldn't say I became an alcoholic, but that's definitely how I was dealing with things. And uh, I eventually, um, after my divorce had finalized, um, you know, I, I was still going to meetings. I was trying to get, they call it reinstated. Mm -hmm. And so the whole time I, I was going, uh, but you're, you're lonely. You're just, you're looking for anybody, anybody that can, that will talk to you or spend time with you. Um, there was a, a woman that I ran into at a convention and I knew her from my childhood and um, we hit it off. Uh, but I told her at the convention, I said, I'm, I'm disfellowshipped. And she said, oh, I, I don't care. I'm just glad you're here. And so a couple weeks later, I think I found her on Facebook. Um, and we went out on a date. And that was that. Um, we, after that, we just continued to date. Uh, because we were dating, she got disfellowshipped herself. Uh, we eventually got caught. And uh, then, you know, so both of us didn't have anybody to turn to other than each other. And so we got married. And so it, it was for the wrong reasons. Um, but that marriage uh, quickly failed. And um, in fact, she became violent. Uh, she was an alcoholic. She's bipolar. And so it was just a bad situation. So, so once again, <laughs> I had to, to get away. And um, uh, during that time, Although I was I was dealing with that, um, I had been disfellowshipped long enough, and the elder body felt that I was repentant of what had happened before, and so they did reinstate me. Uh, but I was still going through this, and basically hurt feelings uh, between friends and and family. Um, they still, you know, they could talk to me, but nobody really went out of their way to talk to me or help me, and so my wife. And I, at the time, um, after I split, um, I had no place to go. So I, I was homeless. I was living out of my car and uh, just living in my office. So you were also uh, shunned by your family, that family that brought you up in the Jehovah's Witnesses as well, correct? Yeah, correct. Wow. And, so, and it's really, you know, you're told not to because if you do, it could hinder that person from coming back to Jehovah. And so that's why, they, you know, everybody's doing it. Um, family members are doing it with a good intention. They feel that they're helping you or they're being told that it's going to help you in the long run. Um, but it, uh, looking back on it, to me, it's kind of like having an abusive spouse and they're hitting you. It's like, why are you making me hit you? Wow, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of this, the same idea, I, I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Very rough. Um, and that, so you basically just had a really tough time. And how long did these difficulties last? Um, not too much longer. After we separated within three to six months, I think we started uh, with a divorce. And so I got divorced. Uh, but it, it's difficult because in for Jehovah's Witnesses, you, you can't get a divorce, and then automatically start dating somebody if you meet someone. Um, you have to prove 
either that your spouse has been unfaithful um, or they have to die. They have to pass wow. away. Wow. And so um, I, <laughs> it's embarrassing to say it now, but basically I had to Facebook stalk her until other posts where she was saying that she was staying at some guy's house. And so that was the only way I could give proof to the elder body that I would be free to marry. And so um, it, I know it sounds kind of weird, like free to marry, but for Jehovah's Witnesses, um, you only date if you're ready to get married. Like dating isn't viewed as just something that's recreational. Mm-hmm. It's for, it's for the, the specific purpose. purpose of yeah, finding a wife or a husband. So, so eventually you kind of came back, but what, what was the, what was, what created the final break? I mean, you're, do you consider yourself an ex Jehovah's witness right now? Um, it's funny in the, (laughs) in that, that world of, I guess you would say, call them apostates. Uh, they call them PIMOs. What's that mean? And, uh, it means, uh, physically in, but mentally out. Physically in okay, PMO, gotcha. Uh, and so that's kind of how I, I feel right now. Um, I've stayed away from it. Um, it's what they would call fading. Oh. Uh, just if you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. Gotcha. And so they don't pay you mind, you don't pay them mind, but you're still you're still affected for you're still living that path. You know, you still know about it and all that stuff. I think Shemwell talked about that as well. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, um, basically, you know, my my wife and I, both of us, we just don't believe it anymore, Uh, but if we were to tell that to our families, like, that's they would consider it completely unacceptable. You're viewed as being a weak person or spiritually weak, or they would say that Satan has gotten to you, uh, something along those lines. So apostates also means that Satan got to you, is that correct? Is that... A similar outlook at all apostates? Yeah. Um, they've actually said it from the platform. They said that apostates are uh, part of the Antichrist. Wow. That's really so, intense. Yeah. So you can see, you know, the language that they're using to, to really try and scare witnesses from talking, from not talking to ex-witnesses. So anybody that could show any kind of information that opposes it, it's automatically, um, uh, for lack of a better word, demonized. Wow, that's really intense. I didn't know that. I mean, it's the same like in, uh, well, Islam, apostasy, the, in certain parts of Islam, if you're apostasy, they'll kill you. And then in Mormonism, it's the kind of very, being called an apostate is like fate worse than death. It's just like, oh my gosh. So. Yeah, and that's that's really how witnesses view it as well. They, you know, if once you're, that is the unforgivable sin. I, I don't think I've ever heard of somebody that's been an apostate and has been able to uh, reconcile and come back into the Jehovah's Witnesses. So you also are finding out or have found out that some of the hints of the occult are real, that there are, that either Russell or somebody else has integrated you know, flat-out occult concepts and teachings within um, Jehovah's Witness. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I would add, though, that modern modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses really don't have anything to do with uh, the original writings that Russell 
wrote, excuse me, wrote about. Mm -hmm. um, there's that, uh, I sent you a, a picture of that book mm -hmm. of the finished mystery. Mm -hmm. um, those, you, you can't find those in any kingdom hall now unless it's like encased in glass or part of like an exhibit in an assembly hall. Remarkable. So nobody reads it either. So it's hard to find and nobody reads it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And really, from my, I like, I still haven't re I've read excerpts of it here and there. But uh, from my understanding, is it's uh, a lot of it is very occultic. Um, you would have to dig to find it, uh, but it's I I believe it's there. Um, early writings uh, from Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, there was uh, Russell. And uh, his predecessor, Rutherford, uh, both said something along the lines of being in communication with angels, mm. uh, like the angels were directing the work. And so they, they do cite scriptures, and depending on, you know, I guess what your belief system is, you could take it that way, or you would look at it and say, well, isn't that spiritism? And so it wasn't until I actually started looking at the occult and i i want to make it very clear i i do not practice occult things but i do see occult connections and in order to do so you have to look in those types of books right or re research those organizations i'm not a like, like, yeah i'm not a practitioner but you realize once you read those root books you go oh these guys are using symbols and elements that come straight out of masonry or the occult which is the occult so yeah, yeah. So I I found um, I was actually there's a, a gentleman named Chris Everard. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, he's an English researcher. Yeah, yeah. And I was watching one of his documentaries. Um, I, I think it was something on the Illuminati, and it was showing some kind of like magic or the symbols that are used in magic ritual. And I saw the tetragrammaton like in the magic circle. And that's supposed to be the four letters of God's name. Mm -hmm. And I, it kind of shocked me because growing up as a witness, you're always told, you know, we'll call on Jehovah, say his name, you know, pray to him and, you know, the demons will flee. But here I am, you know, seeing this documentary and I, you know, did further research and I, you find that the name, you know, Jehovah, uh, the Tetragrammaton, um, other names for God like Adonai, and other things are used in black magic quite often. And from my understanding, um, is Jehovah's name is used when you call forth angels, but it's used to bind them to your command, supposedly. I mean, that's what that's what magicians say. When they're summoning them, right? So they're, right. They're, you're supposed to have this magic circle or something with these words on there, right? And I yeah. think Crowley's magic circle includes the word Jehovah. I mean, when he draws his summoning circle. Yeah, and that, you know, it's funny. That would make sense um, <laughs> somewhat. I I was looking into other, you know, high control groups, and the Plymouth Brethren, um, they actually have quite a number of similar beliefs as Jehovah's Witnesses. Interesting. Uh, it's like, well, I, they, from what I've researched, there's no connection there um, as far as lineage from... Uh, I guess you could say pastor to pastor or priest to priest, but uh, the belief systems there, they do something very similar to disfellowshipping. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're, 
yeah, there, there, there's a number of things there. Well, they My believe in dispensations I, too, right? So is, is the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in dispensationalism? You know what? That's a word that witnesses don't use now. Um, I think it was, it is used. In fact, if you go back to um, that Proclaimers, Proclaimers book that I told you about, mm-hmm. it's like the whitewash version of our history. Uh, it's on page 162, and it kind of shows the, there's a pyramid chart called Chart of the Ages. And looking at it, um, it does say dispensation there. Um, but it's not a word that's used in, in modern times it, it, that I'm aware of. I might have missed it, not paying attention, but um, anyways. Uh, but if you look at that chart of the ages, uh, you can see, you know, it's there's no eye in the pyramid, but there's a capstone to the pyramid, and there's brilliant light coming off of it. Right. Uh, very I'm similar looking at to, it right now. I mean, yeah. it's talking about this first dispensation, second dispensation, Third dispensation, so definitely no more taxes, top coat beers, or watchtowers. Revelation twenty one four. Interesting. And where did where did um, Russell? Do you know where Russell got the name Watchtower for uh, the missives or the or the, the the literature that he handed out? Uh, yeah. I th- now the organization claims. Oh, God, what scripture is that? They say that it's scriptural. Uh, I think it's taken from Isaiah 21.8. I think that's where they, they why they use the name Watchtower. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I was, you know, I became, like I said, when once I started studying these things, um, I found that Watchtowers are also used in occult rituals. Uh, but there is an encyclopedia... Um, the new encyclopedia of the occult. Somebody named uh, John Michael Greer wrote it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, do you mind if I read it? No, no, no. Okay. Um, so there's uh, Watchtowers. It says, uh, in modern pagan practice, manifestations of the four directional powers, usually corresponding to the four elements and other aspects of the fourfold symbolism that plays so important a role in current pagan magical practice. The four watchtowers are imagined far beyond the magical circle in the four directions. Each functions as a protective power for the circle, as well as a portal to the other realms of being. So the watchtowers are presided over by the watchers. So in most rituals for casting a magical circle in modern paganism, calls to the watchtowers play an important part. Since the four watchtowers cannot be traced in pagan practice before the 20th century, and are probably borrowing from the Golden Dawn magic, where the four Enochian watchtowers play a similar part in some ritual workings. Interesting. Do you think yeah. that Taze, that Russell might have, uh, you know, come across this information? I would think so, because uh, as far as I'm aware, I, I believe the Golden Dawn uh, was around uh, when they were around, Absolutely. and it was yeah. an organization uh, that was fairly well known um russell while he spoke against freemasonry um he was also friends with freemasons and that was known to many jehovah's witnesses and the public and so uh there's nothing that i can you know show that's absolute proof but there's a lot of masonic symbolism that's given reference to 
and the artwork and just sayings that you don't hear um, really anywhere else other than masonry. Um, so uh, like uh, when I sent you that email, uh, when you look at Aleister Crowley's book, The Book of the Law, right. you see that winged uh, sun disc right. on the front. Right. And uh, Charles uh, Russell, he had a six volume, excuse me, it was like six or seven volume set. And the last one was called The Finished Mystery. But on the cover of each of those, uh, you see the winged sun disc. Right. That comes out of masonry. I mean, that's about as mason as it gets. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can look at temples, um, Freemason temples, and you see them all over the place. Right. And so um, I, I believe there's even uh, that documentary that, that you did with uh, Tom Horn. Right. Yep. Yeah. There, you know, the winged sun disc are also used to go around a magic square. Right, so potentially he might have gone big. The winged sun is a symbol associated with divinity, royalty, and power in the ancient Near East, Egypt, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Persia. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But if you throw in the watchtower, you throw in some John D. Uh, mystery, actually, I mean, you want to have a really strange correlation is that the advent, well, Mormonism, tons of angels, right? The angel Mor right. Moroni gives the book. But what was uh, Joseph Smith and this guy who was working with Sidney Rigdon were doing are the exact rituals, style of ritual, that Kelly and Dee were doing to summon this new angelic language, Enochian language. Not the Book of Enoch, but an actual Enochian language from this. Uh, John D. and they still have in the Mormon Church. They still have Joseph Smith's shoe stone. And what he would do is get a cap, like a big, like a, not a bowler hat, but like a, you know, one of these English style hats. I can't remember, but he put the stone into it, stick his face in there, do some rituals, read the stone. Rignan would be his 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 scryer. I think it was a seer. There's a seer, and then there's the the writer. And so Rigdon would write down, and that's how the Book of Mormon was received. That's how they wrote it. Uh, yep. Supposedly some kind of translate. So they're doing these D. Uh, Kelly rituals. And then you tie this in with uh, the watchtowers of Edward Carley during the original Enochian worships, and you start referencing, and even the book you had, you reference Israel Regardi, who was one of Crowley's followers, who wrote a book about the Golden Dawn. I mean, he basically is the go-to book referencing all the Golden Dawn magic. So there's a very uncomfortable overlap between modern magical practices based upon old magical practices and Mormonism and JW and probably Millerideism, Seventh-day Adventism. And Miller was a, a Mason. So right. you really got to look at these guys you know, with some suspicion. Yeah, and that that's the, you know, if there's like one or maybe two things you can kind of you know, brush it off, oh, it's a coincidence, or maybe that was something that was popular at the time. But after a while, I, I've just run into so many things that overlap, it's impossible to ignore. Yes. I just, right. you know, um, like I, uh, as far as the watchtowers, uh, like you were saying, you know, Edward Kelly just so people don't don't think that, oh, well, that's a new pagan practice that, you know, Satan is probably trying to make Jehovah's Witnesses look bad. Um, Edward Kelly uh, 
you know, he he was way before <laughs> way before the Watchtower. What uh, it was Queen Elizabeth, right? Right. So uh, D was Queen Elizabeth's like magician scholar, and Kelly was a guy who was a, he was a fortune teller, and D needed somebody, and Kelly became his kind of. I think I forgot the terms. It's a seer. One person is a seer, and the other one is the scry or something. So the other one writes while the other. Yeah, one's that sounds familiar. Yeah. I don't know. I wish. I yeah, wish it's. I know it's crazy. Just the. <laughs> there's there's so much there. Um, there's something else. Um, although it doesn't say a watchtower. Uh, there's the book, uh, the secret teachings of all ages from right. Manly Keyhole. Uh -huh. Um, and so in it, at least the, the copy I have, uh, on page 241, there's a picture of Diana of Ephesus, and it's an idol, and on top of it, you see this a watchtower on top of her head. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read this Please real quick. Please do. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it said, crowned with a triple tower-like tiara, and her form adorned with symbolic creatures, uh, re- representative of her spiritual powers, Diana stood for the source of that imperishable doctrine which, flowing from the bosom of the great Multimia, is the spiritual food of those aspiring men and women who have consecrated their lives to the contemplation of reality. And to me, that, that sticks out because Jehovah's Witnesses consider spiritual food to come from the organization. The Watchtower or the Faithful and Discreet Slave. That's where we receive our spiritual food. And so you see this language, similar language that's used over just, like I said before, it's just too much. There's, there's so much there. Similar language from esoteric teachings in Jehovah's Witnesses. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So, and I mean, I, when I was talking with, uh, with Mike Shemwell, you know, it's just like there's, parts of the Jehovah's Witness that are not biblically based. They're not, there are parts of it that are, but even the, uh, you know, re reliance upon the name of Jehovah is not really from the New Testament. It's not, it's not really, a, I mean, a Jehovah's Witnesses call themselves a Christian organization, but there really isn't that, that kind of emphasis upon Jehovah in biblical Christianity, at least in my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's funny. That's that's something. It that's it's still hard for me because, like I said, those those things are so ingrained in you. Um, I guess there's still a part of me that would that would like to prove uh, Jehovah to be you know to be true. Mm -hmm. I, no, nobody wants to think that they wasted you know forty years of their <laughs> of their life in something. Um, so, like I said, I'm I'm still searching. Uh, I'm not cut off to to anything, but I'd I'd like just looking at things with a non-biased view, and uh, hoping that I I can find some kind of truth that way. Well, it's interesting too. Another one that's interesting is the finished mystery. You could put it right by uh, Key to the Mysteries by Eliphas Levy, and they both look like a cold books, you know. So, like a helping hand yeah. for Bivings. Like you could probably look at some of these phrases and they probably use them in masonry i don't know but yeah what, from from what i've i've found is i think um eliphas levy he was the f the f first one at least that i've been able to find so far that used jehovah in magic ritual wow interesting 
Um, and so, but what's, what's funny is, uh, like I actually learned, uh, from listening to your information that, that Crowley believed that he was the reincarnation of Aletheus Levi, right? Exactly. So his real name was Alfred Lewis Constant, but he died in 1875 and then Crowley was born. So Crowley believed one of his many reincarnations, but his primary reincarnation was Eliphas Levy and he was carrying on the work. So, and he re, he, there's a translation of Elephus Levy's, I think, The Key to the Mysteries, which is uh, by Elephus Levy, but translated by Crowley. So, Crowley was very intimately involved in that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff actually translates into masonry. So, one of the main books of masonry is Morals and Dogma, written by Albert uh, Pike, who lifted a lot, in my understanding, lifted a lot of the material from Elephus Levy. So, you see this symbolism of the Sphinx and all these to know to will to dare to remain silent a lot of these these ideas and concepts uh, my understanding is Al albert pike lifted from levy that was the chief influence upon morals and dogma yeah that's that's what my understanding of it was um you know what's funny is there's a let me see there there's a little excerpt from morals and dogma mm -hmm. um that i think would stand out to uh to witnesses mm -hmm. um I'm not sure what page it's taken from. It's actually quoted from another book, but it's of morals and dogma. But it says, Masonry, like all the religions, all the mysteries, hermetic and alchemical, conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and sages or the elect and uses false explanations and misinterpretations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve only to be misled, to conceal the truth which it calls light from them and to draw them away from it. So there, there's two things there that uh, Watchtower uses constantly is the word whisker is they call it the truth. And when a new understanding uh, comes up or they flip flop on an old belief, uh, they call it new light or the light has gotten brighter. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. There's like internal understandings within Jehovah's witness. No doubt. Yeah, we are, so. yeah, we're at 55 minutes. I unfortunately have to be somewhere at seven. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to, I mean, we could definitely do another hour show and just talk about the occult stuff, but, uh, is there anything that, that you'd like to add to the listener or, um, anything we missed or any important points? Um, yeah, a couple things real quick. Okay. If cool. you don't mind. Yeah, no. Um, so growing up in it, um, there was an awake magazine uh, back in 89. It was October 22nd of 89, and it was talking about Satanism and how it was a growing menace. And what's interesting is in that article, um, it actually goes into talking about Crowley oh. and how, how uh, Crowley was a Satanist and uh, just kind of goes along those lines. But they, they don't go into detail, but they actually mention uh, Maury Terry, uh -huh. who wrote The Ultimate Evil, right. and they, they reference his book as those being Satanists. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was referring to the Process Church, right? Maury Terry was covering the process. He thought the whole thing about uh, uh, Berkowitz was the Process Church that went to Arliss Perry through Mino, North Dakota, yes. Yeah, and so, but what's amazing about when I looked into the Process Church is they believe Jesus... Lucifer, Satan, and Jehovah, they believe in those four deities. Correct. And they kind of, 
uh, I don't like it. <laughs> occult understanding is meant meant to be confusing, right? But but again, it's this occult group that's supposedly using the true God's name, and so you know you can take it, I guess, any way you want. Uh, but either there's a, an occult connection there, or but if you were to tell that to any witness, I think cognitive dissonance kicks in, and they say, oh well, that's just Satan trying to blaspheme God's name. You know, it would just come down to that and not want to see the connections that there's so many like we've gone over right yeah it's uh it gets to be a little bit disturbing you know like uh there's a lot there you know you really somebody needs to go back and look at uh, these books and compare them to occult literature because there was so much going on there at the late 19th century that these guys the millerites and the, the seventh day Adventists and the mormons and jehovah's witnesses and possibly even christian scientists who were also spiritists really like she, I forgot her name, but she had, you know, we used to see angels dancing around her mind. So it's a lot of interesting <laughs> yeah. things were happening in the 19th century. Jack, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Love to have you back. We could, uh, you know, do an outline and, and go into further details if we can figure them out. 